So hi, uh, Sharath. So Sharath is pronounced right. Adam, you did it perfectly. Thank you. What was your first computer? Oh my goodness, a Commodore VIC-20. Oh, I had it as well. So uh, this was my dream was C64. I got the VIC-20 later. It started with static spectrum. So what you did with the computer? Uh, also, uh, having a family of computer programmers and, and engineers in my house, uh, the first thing I did was actually do a little Hello Me app, which was uh, to say hello to my sister. No kidding. In, uh, in a, yeah, I, I wrote a very short uh, application that said, hello, Sarita, which is my uh, sister's name. And uh, it showed the text in bold and color on the screen. Nothing too complicated, but, you know, when you're nine years old, um, I thought I was uh, launching a rocket to the moon. <laughs> but that's great. And and you didn't want it to play or some games, just, you know, the uh, what are you a natural? Eventually... How is called natural born programmer, right? Yeah, so 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 naturally that evolved into simple pixelated gaming. Uh, you know, moving from the VIC twenty to the C sixty four to the TI ninety nine, um, and you know it uh, it opened my eyes. So gaming is interesting because I think it's opened the doors to programming for a, a lot of people in the world. Like for me my uh, appreciation or my interest in programming came from playing games uh -huh. uh, how do they work well you know what what is in the background what is creating that rendering um what is creating that sort of you know complex layer upon layer on the screen uh and it it just you know created a curiosity but you know i was lucky my father uh, was an aerospace engineer, so he was using CAD CAM. He was doing, you know, aerospace designs and wing structures on the computer. My my mother worked for NASA oh, nice. uh, for many years, uh, and so she was doing a lot of things that were related to orbital flight paths for satellites and the space shuttle and things of that nature. So, you know, my my interest in gaming was supported by the fact that I had parents that were already very strong and passionate and experienced programmers. But, you know, just because of that didn't mean I went into programming. You know, my paths diverged from that sort of technical lens. I actually was studying to be an economics major uh, okay. in college. But you still, still, is it true? So you started with Hello World, right? I started the Hello World. Not, not launching a game, you started Hello World. And this was your choice or you were like, you know, gently forced by your parents? I, I was I was I was encouraged. Encouraged. Oh, encouraged. This, okay. I was I was encouraged that programming, playing with a computer, touching a keyboard, uh, would be uh, entertaining okay. and rewarding. But you know, every parent wants to uh, direct their children in in something that's of value, but make it fun at the same time. And so I was encouraged uh, to do that. But you know, I studied economics. Uh, in finance in college, I didn't actually become more formal with programming until 1993. Right? Okay. So I was. So, about the question before you study, are you just playing games, or or you learn to programming with basic or whatever? Basic, a lot of basic, a lot of basic, uh, a lot of VB. Okay. Um, and uh, I I was more fascinated with the front end versus okay. what's happening the back end. Like to me. Uh, you know, being somewhat of a amateur artist, you know, I, I like to see how I can make things look visually more appealing. Okay. Um, and you know, 
things that were you know 8 bit 16 bit back in in that generation the level of complexity was handcuffed by the state that technology was in but still you know i was always like what can i do on this palette and you know the the monitor was my palette i wanted to you know put as much color there and rendering there and and interaction inter interactivity there and you know even though you know that's that's where i went one question regarding complexity so what you said right now is that back then it this is what what i understood the, uh, it was simpler than now but um i don't think so i mean um right now probably you are in as a programmer developer you are involved in at many things at the same time but each of the things is pretty simple i would say for me you know server side java is simple even clouds are simple databases are actually simple you can keep it simple or you can make it really complicated back then it was probably you know the basic was not that simple because there were no uh, there was no stack overflow so you you had to know to learn it from from books and um and for me like peak and pokes were magic black magic i was completely you know confused how to get you know the the numbers from peak and pokes so uh, i heard often now it's everything is more complicated but i don't believe so right i you bring up a good point um when we looked at whether it's you or myself or you know anyone that's been in programming for for over a decade or more yeah um learning was a challenge mm -hmm. right you you didn't have this notion of peer to peer sharing and collaborating and understanding best practices and use cases transparently um that that you know e even in java you know going back 20 plus years we knew the way the platform and the language evolved is we is we had greater participation yeah because the more participation you have the more perspective you have yeah number one but number two think about all of the things that we don't have to do by hand anymore because someone has already innovated yeah. you know someone's already created a library someone has already created a framework i don't have to do that on my own anymore yeah uh and we're lucky that java has such a rich collection of of libraries and frameworks that we as developers can just pick up and use and 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 make our life uh much easier yeah exactly so um okay so you did a lots of basic was the any other language in nvb you said until you study or something else turbo pascal or uh, delphi or whatever a little bit of pascal uh, okay. uh and but that's only because of uh you know my mother was very that's where she learned her center of programming universe but you know the fact that she worked in the government there was a lot of cobol and fortran yeah. that i'd get exposed to and um boy that was uh that took time to get used to um but why why you did it i mean what was your motivation to learn programming before you study? Uh it was more because my parents pushed me in that direction. They okay. wanted me to no matter what I did, they wanted me to still have some foundational technical aptitude um because it it has applicability in in anything you do. Yeah. I mean e even in business you think about, you know, you know, uh you know running the worlds of finance in the world, you know, think about all the algorithms that are happening in the background, all the computations that are occurring in microseconds or milliseconds. It's like th there's a technical layer to what's happening in front of us. And the more you understand about that, it makes your 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 approach to the career uh a bit more easier to understand. Right? Okay. You're you're taking away some of the complexity by doing that. And so um I, I'm 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 very fortunate that I had very forward-looking parents that um, that had an open mind to multiple technologies, to multiple areas of study. Um, 
and the fact that they entrenched in me that no matter what you do, uh, technology evolves the world. Yeah. Right. So yeah. my parents grew up in a world where, you know, making a phone call was a laborious process. Yeah. Yeah. With some right? cables involved, probably. Right. Back some then. cables, some <laughs> copper wire. You had to turn some rotary dial. Yeah. You had to hear the clicking in the background. Some connection is going through some some server somewhere. Um, or and, even operators, um, right? There were phone operators. You... Yeah. Yeah. Some cities you couldn't even make a connection without going through. Uh, you know, someone making the actual connection to the house. And, um, you know, when I joined the telco industry, telecommunications, that's what really opened my eyes to programming. So um, Wait a second. I was with... So uh, regardless yeah. of your parents, but uh, this strategy is a little bit dangerous, right? Because if parents tell you something, usually the natural reaction is, I don't like that, right? So the question is, is it a good strategy to gently encourage the kids to program? That's That's the question number one, you know? Uh, or let th let them you know play games or whatever and wait what happens. This is also dangerous because if you wait too long, nothing will happen, right? So, uh, I yeah, that's a that's a interesting perspective. Um, I would say, you know, ten twenty years ago, that may have been a, a quote unquote dangerous path to take, but this generation, this environment we now live in, children are exposed to technology at a at an ever increasing younger age. And they don't even realize how much they are already uh, learning in terms of the value of technology. And I've seen, you know, five-year-olds being able to manipulate and operate a smartphone better than some adults. Yeah. Because it's already been introduced as, to them as something natural that's not challenging, that's not hard. And so the earlier you expose technology or anything to a child, they will pick it up much faster. Yeah. They will think of it as as, as somewhat normal versus exactly. a barrier. Uh, but I think the normal could be the problem because uh, for me, uh, computers was like you no know, technology from outer space. For me, it was like you no know, something magical thing, which uh, if you have it, you know, you have everything you could imagine. And right now, computer is just you know, like a knife, just a tool. So, I mean, it is. Yeah. But for us, it was, uh, for me at least, computers were really exciting. And even Java, I know everything. So, um, this was a stop maybe a few years ago, but I was really exciting because it was special. And now it is hard to teach, you know, uh, kids programming because, you know, if they already have iPads and smartphones, they already look great. If they, if you show them, you no, know, if L statement, hello world in Java on a, on a, on a, a green screen, um, it is not, not that exciting as it was before, right? This is the challenge. It is. It's not. It's so. It, it's. It's a. It's what I would call an evolving approach. Yeah. Um, and so, just like technology evolves, the way we teach also needs to evolve. It, exactly. it can't stay. It can't stay static. And that's why uh, I'm so encouraged to see things like uh, Minecraft. Minecraft is yeah. a great example. Yeah. It's teaching children. Through the lens of of uh, of video gaming, of mm -hmm. of having fun, and they don't even realize that they're learning. Yeah, they're learning. They're building up the the basic understandings of modules and components and and um, classes and and libraries and binding mm -hmm. um, and execution and debugging when something doesn't work out right. And you know they they loot they view it through the lens of I'm just having fun. Yeah, uh, but they, and, they have and, to create you know, extensions, right, in, in Minecraft. Yeah. If you just play Minecraft, nothing will happen. 
So something right. like maybe Alexa skills, something like this, you know, if you if you play with it, this could be more like back then, right? So you can interact with the computer in different ways or AI if you have just a model which you can interact with could be also interesting right now, right? So yeah, I could I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. Um the there's a overused uh phrase that says the world is your oyster. Um and I think for kids nowadays, this next generation we keep saying next generation, but I think that's somewhat of a misleading term because the next generation has been happening for many years. Yeah. Um, but in this modern era of development, um, I'm very positive on the future that, you know, when you, when me, myself or others who've been doing this for 20 plus years, when we pass that baton on, I think we're passing it on to a generation that's ready to pick up uh, and, you know, stand on our shoulders to do something even better. Yeah. Um, because access to technology is um, is easier than it was in our generation. It doesn't mean it's completely easy. You know, we need to ensure that technology is accessible to regions of the world um, that need more accessibility and openness. That's our responsibility as developers. So um, I, I view technology as uh, an open democracy. Everyone should have access to it. There should yeah. be no barriers. Um, and it's 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 up to us to to foster that. But I, I have a lot of hope that the next generation uh, are going to do even bigger and better things. But I will say this, Adam, I do hope that the next generation, the 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 children that are immersing themselves in technology or becoming programs, understand that what they do should have uh, should benefit versus hurt. Like yeah. there's an ethical component to everything we do nowadays, and I, I want kids to know. That whatever they program, whatever they build, whatever they develop should be helpful to society versus hurtful. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's a struggle because so many people think innovating is helpful. Innovating sometimes is harmful. Yeah. But it always was. It always was, right? Right. Right. And, yeah. and, and so it's important that we instill in, in, in children, uh, in, in, in primary and secondary and even college that, you know, programming and innovation and technologies is, is useful. Innovation is useful only to use it uh in 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 moral ways yeah because if it's done in immoral ways then it it hurts if it, yeah, if it renders hurt then then is that truly innovation what may happen so what uh, what is also could happen is that you know the new generation would like to go offline or we don't like computers at all because you know with the all the i don't like social no overuse or whatever uh, it is actually boring and uh, now going outside and playing with the nature is also interesting. So what could happen is now Absolutely. that the new generation will observe, you know, us playing with the smartphones and I know typing text messages back and forth. And if you if you watch us, observe us from the outside, it's completely stupid. We spend more time, you know, with uh, on glass than you know observe the world. And my hope is that you say, okay, now stop that. Just go outside and and leave us alone with the old AR and VR or whatever. This this is, would be my hope, you know. Uh, not yeah. more, just less. And this could happen like a revolution in the completely di different direction. I, I would say. Yeah, I, I think you've uh, you've 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 introduced a very uh, important point, and you the the acronym you used AR, artificial reality, yeah. augmented reality, Aug augmented, is exactly. not is not reality. Yeah. In its in its name itself, augmented, it means yeah. it's not the real thing, and yeah. so we need to we need to ensure that you know as we evolve. Uh, the world around us that's immersed in technology, that there is a world outside of that. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, we can't lose sight of that because what makes us human is our humanity. It can't be replaced with digits and, and bytecode and, yeah. um, and, and applications. We need to ensure that the human condition continues forward. Technology should extend it. Yeah. It should not replace it. Okay. So now you started uh, economy, you said. Now the question why you did it, uh, because uh, there was too much programming or too much encouragement or <laughs> <laughs> was it the, like no. a rebel? Or why? Yeah, no, you know, that's the, it, it wasn't so much a rebel, you know, in, in my, um, and it's sort of, I, I carry this forward in what I do right now in my current role. So uh, I do a lot of developer advocacy as it's now known as, or evangelism. I consider it outreach. Um, my, I find value, inspiration, um, meaning in helping others. Yeah. And when I was studying economics, I studied a very special specialized field, which was third world economics. Okay. Which was how do we, as uh, first world nations, uh, develop and create resources to help third world nations become first world nations? Mm -hmm. So collectively, it's our responsibility as capitalists to invest in other parts of the world to allow them to achieve the same level of success that we already have. Yeah. And so I was looking at it from that standpoint as a career is, you know, how do we as as uh, as as business leaders um, in, invest in areas that don't have access to the resources that we are so privileged to have? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I carried that same ethos into my technical career You know, after uh, studying technology, building some applications, joining Sun, never thought that would happen, uh, being living in this world of Java for so many years. I was able to evolve that passion that I had for helping others into the technology side, which is, you know, a lot of the advocacy that I do. Um, I, here's how I view my role. By the way, my role uh, is, this is regarding yeah. capitalism. I don't know what they yeah. know, but I had a guest called Scott McNeely on this podcast, and we had discussion about capitalism, which was in, 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 uh, very important or important, very, very interesting. So, and regarding capitalism, as my point of view is, you can improve the world if you, you know, just... If it makes sense, and it's not always not, not only good. I mean, from the capital, capitalistic perspective, right? Capitalism perspective. Uh, I think the only thing uh, how capitalism can grow is to invest in you know poorer countries because uh, and and if you do this, this is good, and you can justify it to your bosses and managers, whatever. We have to do it because of growth or whatever, right? But if you just will do it because it's good, you will probably lose. The same was you know. With uh, electric cars back then, I say with the all electric movement, forget it. What we have to do is, you know, like if Formula One will use electric cars <laughs> and they do great noises and have, you know, 3,000 horsepowers or whatever, then, you know, the youth will watch this, say, this is actually cool, and they will buy the car. But if you try, you know, to sell the electric car as something good but boring, you will lose. So I, I think, you know, the, uh, the ability is to, to couple the goodness with some sense, or how to call it, with a logical explanation. And then you will win, I think, right? Yeah, and, that, and that's the beauty of what I feel, uh, which is why I have um, continued the journey with Java. Uh, and what I mean by that is the early founders of, of Java, you look back at like James Gosling and, and Patrick Naughton and Mike Sheridan and, and Tim Lindholm and Bill Shannon and John Gage, some names we recognize, some names might get lost to history, but they realized very early on that participation matters. Mm -hmm. And so I think the vibrancy of Java will continue to shine 
if we extend it to others, they then have a uh, desire to then contribute back. And there's many ways you can contribute back to Java. You can download an early access release and give us feedback. You can become a committer or an author to OpenJDK. You yourself can go and teach and extend your skills to others in different avenues. You can join a user group and then have sort of peer-to-peer -peer sharing. That has a lot of similarities to this notion of, of you know, a first world nation contributing to third world nations, which is yeah. let's help bring everyone up together yeah. and contribute equally to to better the you know the overall uh, ecosystem. And and that's why I view my role as that of a Sherpa. Mm -hmm. And some people might not be familiar with the term Sherpa, but a Sherpa is someone who helps a mountain climber reach a summit yeah. because they know the mountain, they know the path, but they are helping someone else achieve their goal. And so I view my role as a Sherpa in the Java ecosystem. My job is to help others reach their summit. And the so cool story is that the, like... the, the real Sherpas, they reach, you know, the Mount Everest a couple of times without a big deal, you know? And the heroes yeah. are the people who, you know, did nothing, they, they or nothing, they walked one, one time up the hill and they were the heroes, but the Sherpas were the true heroes, you know? Because they did it over yeah. and over again without, without equipment, without, you know, they just did it without thinking about that. This is the, the cool story about Sherpas. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. But see, the role of a Sherpa is that almost of a teacher, which is we want to um, we want to get the most ability out of the talent someone has. Yeah. We want them to succeed. And so it's not about me mm -hmm. uh, and others in my role, in similar roles, whether they're advocates in Java or other uh, technologies. We as advocates, we as evangelists want others to achieve the best version of them in the ecosystem or the community they run in. And so I take satisfaction when I've helped someone reach the summit. And if if they get the accolades or if they get the recognition or they get the visibility, um, I've then done, I consider that doing my job. I've mm -hmm. done my job because I've helped someone else achieve that that is important to them. And so I don't look at it as a negative. I mean, every, every teacher only wants the best for their students. And to me, the community is basically my students. The ecosystem is my students. I want all of the developers in the world, especially in the Java uh, ecosystem, to be the best version of them. Mm -hmm. I take reward in that. Mm -hmm. No, uh, this was just, you mentioned Sherpas, and this is what I immediately, you know, thought about the Mount yeah, Everest. Right. Uh, question to you, because it's incredible. So um, I just look it up. This was the podcast episode number 50 uh, um, from, from this podcast. And... Um, I don't know whether you know. So um, to save time, I actually, what I do, I gather the entire month's questions and I answer the questions at once in a free show. This is right after the podcast called Airhex TV. And oh uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, people all over the, the world join the, 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 the streaming, live streaming show. And we have interaction, which is really nice. So I do it for five years right now. And what happened was, was really incredible. So um, I know a guy, uh, his name is Matthias Reinick. And uh, he hired me once, you know, for a code review in Germany. So I did the code review and forgot about him. And uh, a, a few years later, I pinged him. I saw it on Twitter. I should invite you to a podcast because uh, to talk about Java and stuff like that. And during sure. the podcast, we had a conversation. And what happened is that at the Airhex TV show, uh, I explained, you know, uh, architectures and stuff like that. And I explained the same things, you know, as commercial project to the guy in Germany. And uh, someone in Africa listened to my show mm -hmm. and uh, wrote um, and, uh, and uh, wanted to work for the company in Germany. And the guy invited him, so I come to us. And he, during the interview, you know, wrote down the entire architecture and the, and the German guy asked him, <laughs> how you know 
how our architecture look like, right? And uh, the, the, the applicant from Africa say, because I watched the AXTV show. And I say, <laughs> okay, you are in. And now, you know, he will, uh, yeah, he will probably listen to the show. This is like incredible how small the world is. And the guy is working for the, from Africa, is working at the company for Germany. And he hired two other African guys because uh, they, they were, and, and they create great things, you know, the simple Java way without any external dependencies, what I usually do. And, but this is incredible. If you, if you think about this, you know, how likely is such a thing that someone from Africa listens to me, applies to a company where I was before, and then, you know, he knew out of what I, what I said in AXTV, he did it, and the company used my idea of architecture, and they, they supplied and works in Germany. But the, isn't that what's so beautiful is how we are breaking down barriers to foster greater collaboration, yeah. to, to do knowledge transfer that has benefit. And uh, what you just mentioned, uh, you know, whether it's in Africa or South America, Southeast Asia, yeah. um, you know, uh, some parts of Eastern Europe, all of these markets that may not have been traditional in terms of of uh, of where to pursue um, talent, yeah, that talent has always been there. We just have to open the door to yeah. allow them uh, to to enter, right? Yeah. So this is this is not just about creating diversity; it's about in, it's about creating inclusion. So I think the world, as we know, is very diverse. We just need to ensure that there's inclusion in that world. And what you just you know, summarized is, is, a, is a great example of that inclusion. Yeah, I mean, program is a programmer, right? So, you know, the discussion, <laughs> inclusion, exclusion, I mean, every, every, who, program is a programmer who, regardless from where she or he is coming, no one should care. So what I never got, you know, program is one of the few professions where you can actually, which does matter. You know, nothing matters. You only need a keyboard and you can program. There may be, you know, uh, other professions which require, you know, very specific skills, whatever. But I mean, programming is programming. I mean, if you like it, you can do it regardless where are you right now. And with the old pandemic, now we can show that we can actually even work remotely, right? So this is this That's is right. proven fact, right? So, okay. Yeah, so, and 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 your uh, programming language of choice—that is your tool, right? Yeah, yeah, that is your tool. With lots so of fun. That, that, with lots of fun, with, right? Yeah. Lots of fun. You know, I uh, I'd like to um, I'd like to quote someone uh, and. Um, this person may not be known very well in in the Java ecosystem, but she's known very well in the technology ecosystem. Her name is um, Kim Bannerman. Okay. And Kim Bannerman does a lot of advocacy uh, across the industry for multiple languages. But she has a saying which I think is very profound, which is "People first, technology second. Yes. Uh, and if we identify with each other first, create that common ground and 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 connection. Um, being able to then share on the technology side becomes much easier. Uh, and so, you know, we, we can't lose sight, as you had mentioned before, is let's not lose sight that, you know, there's a humanity to everything we do for technology to have value uh, and innovation. It has to be connected on people first. And, you know, if Kim's listening or if she ever listens, I just want to give her that plug because, you know, her, her mantra, uh, I carry with me every day. It, it is uh very meaningful, and uh, I hope it's meaningful for for all the listeners as well. Yeah, but I mean, this is again, you know, people first. Uh, it sounds like you know, almost like a missionary, you know, someone like a pre preacher says <laughs> says that. But if you if you are, you if you are a, li a little bit more nicer to the others, it comes back and you have more fun, right? It's not like yeah. uh, this is what I wanted to tell. So if you just 
looking grumpy to your machine and try, you know, to conquer the world with, I don't know, your keyboard, maybe you will achieve that with not lots of fun. But if you, people first, if you, if you, if you go to middle ground, I mean, you know, we have to live 100 years or whatever, and then we'll die. So, I, I mean, one, one strategy is to have, you know, the most fun during the 100 years. And the other would be, you know, I don't know, to, to fight everyone and just uh, show that you are right. So I would choose the first strategy because it's more fun, right? But think, but think about this, right? So, um, you know, the, the original founders of Java, the people that really built it, realized that it is people that matter. And just think how vibrant our ecosystem, our community is, you know? Yeah, but come There's back to this because you, you are too, 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 too um, you did the conversation, becomes too interesting so I, I would like you know to start somehow with sun and java so what i wanted to learn from you university oh. so you, you did the economy we we mentioned you know uh, the strategy what happens after your university time so graduated uh i became part of the technology or i should say the telecommunications industry yeah uh i worked with a tel teleco company called bell atlantic many people bell, will forget yeah. the names of these companies uh, but it was one of the telecom companies here that provided landline copper wire communications to both commercial and residential. And, and great research, right? Bell Labs, for instance. Bell Labs, that's yeah. right. That's right. And uh, at the time when I joined, I was part of the team that was, uh, I guess you would call it mergers and acquisitions. So we would go explore the market for companies that we should either partner with, okay. acquire, uh, or consider buying IP. Okay. Um, but that was also the start of this revolutionary change in communications, Okay. right? So we went from landline to mobile. And mm -hmm. you know, the first instance of mobile uh, was feature phones. And mm -hmm. you had multiple handset manufacturers all with different standards. And we as a, as a telecommunication company knew early on that phones were the gateway for the next generation of applications and solutions. And so, that's what really piqued my interest. And so I was lucky enough to have a mentor at, at Bell Atlantic, which, by the way, Bell Atlantic acquired a company called GTE. Mm -hmm. Some people might remember GTE. We also acquired a company called Ninex, another telco. Mm -hmm. And by combining these three companies, we rebranded ourselves to Verizon, what the world knows as ah, Verizon okay. today. Um, and so in that journey, you know, I started learning more about this, this mobile side, this online side. And I started taking evening classes going back the path that my parents wanted me to do originally yeah. um, and then picked up my programming skills by doing night school uh, as as sort of like an adjustment to my career and so i wanted to learn how to better emulate applications on feature phones if you remember wow. every phone had a different renderer yeah. you had to have an emulator and then you would test on that emulator before you deployed it actually on the handset and then the carrier had to host the application and so um that's how I got exposed to Java because at that time there was no programming language that did that easily. Yeah. And, you know, the, the original creators of Java, you know, I started learning a little bit about mobile and embedded clients and, and this whole world of what you could do um, through that lens. And I, I attended the first Java one. Some of you might remember the Java one conference, but 1996, I was lucky enough to be with the team from Verizon that sent its employees all the way from New York, ah, New York to California yeah. for this conference called Java One. And I'm yeah. like, where am I? What is this? And at that point, going to Java, I was hooked. Yeah. Because to me, you know, I got immersed in the technology, but I got immersed in the community. 
I was able to talk to the actual people that was developing the language. Mm -hmm. um, and it was more, you know, it was more of this, they embraced me, they embraced all of the attendees. And, you know, four years later, Sun Microsystems, for some reason, said, hey, Sharath, will you come join our team? I, I mean, how, how can I even, I can't even process that even today. You know, it's been uh, how it happened? 20 years. So you started after Java One. You started code Java at Bell Labs, or I, I started yeah. I, or at, at at Verizon. So I was part of the team that was doing application testing on handsets. Okay. Uh, and we had to you know work with all the device manufacturers, the Sony, Ericsson, the Nokia. Um, you know there were a litany of handset manufacturers, uh, Motorola. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was part of the team that was doing application testing of third-party apps that Verizon wanted to host to offer their customers okay. on their on their you know on their carrier service. And um I was a tester. I was I was testing applications, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. next thing I know, you know, let's flash flash forward four years from 96 to 2000 in September of 2000, mm -hmm. I get a random email. Like, how does this even happen? Someone from Sun, like I'm from the NetBeans team, and like you know, we all know NetBeans as an IDE. Like we're we're you know we're looking for someone that has worked in the community, that has built programs, built done outreach, but understands sort of like the mobile space. Uh, and that conversation just continued forward after a few months of dialogue back and forth. They extended me a job offer in in December of 2000, and I started. Still remember this. My first day at Sun Microsystems was January 8th of 2001. I accepted okay. my offer in December. I started in January. I was part of the NetBeans team where they were looking at that time, how do we integrate all of our IDEs? Because, you know, they had the tooling from JavaSoft. They had Forte. Yeah. You might remember Forte. Forte for J. Uh, then yeah. NetBeans. How do we combine all of these tools, especially for mobile, to accelerate application development, number one, but two, build out a program so third-party vendors could make their plugins available to kind of reduce that friction so a developer doesn't have to do all of that work by hand, by scratch. And so we built out the NetBeans plugin uh, program and we had multiple you know, vendors that would offer modules that we would serve up through the IDE. But then you know the job changed, and then I, I started working on a tool called Java Studio Creator. Yeah, some might remember that. So you moved uh, so, from from New York to to some uh, to uh, San Francisco, not San Francisco. I, uh, yeah, I well, so in that transition, I was in New York. I moved back to my home state of Maryland. Okay. Uh, in that four month span, when I was still talking to folks from Sun Microsystems, okay. and then once they offered me the job, I moved from Maryland all the way out to. Uh, Oakland, okay. because the Oak, the the NetBeans team was actually um, the U.S. division of of NetBeans was based in Oakland. Oh, yeah. uh, and mm -hmm. and so um, you know at that time it was already part of Sun, but you know, the the NetBeans office for Sun was in was in Oakland. So yeah, I I as they say, I I loaded up the wagons and I moved west. Yeah, uh, and I've been west for the last you know twenty years. Cool. Who was on the on the team? So how big was the team back then? You remember roughly? Uh, so the NetBeans team, because you know the 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 engineering team was still in Prague, because mm -hmm. that's where you know yeah. NetBeans uh, was. So uh, the U.S. based team, there were some folks uh, in the East Coast, uh, in uh, if I remember in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, but the majority of the U.S. based team was in California. I think maybe there was forty of us. Okay. 
40. Mm -hmm. Some might remember some names like so Tim Boudreaux, yeah. Geertlum Noelinga, Yiri, uh, Reitschek, um, mm -hmm. a few others, uh, Mark Herring, um, Dan Roberts. I mean, these are all the folks that were working both on Forte and, and, and NetBeans, but I'd say we were about 40 people in okay. California. Pretty small team. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, the center of engineering excellence was all in, in, in Praha. Yeah, exactly. They had already our podcast, Jaroslav Tulach. So how NetBeans yeah. happened, you know? So the, we covered the entire uh, history of NetBeans. I was just curious. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I love NetBeans. It's the IDE yeah. I was first introduced to. But what, what inspires me so much is we as Java developers have choice, Yeah, which is great. Like whether you use IntelliJ or Eclipse or NetBeans, Apache NetBeans, you can you have variety you have a choice it's not sort of like one vendor one tool it it uh it's refreshing that we as developers can pick the tools that best suit our needs yeah uh and um i think that's very liberating yeah what i like about netbeans is it's very easy to use right now so this is the 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 very convenient to use two shortcuts and you're ready to go control space and uh command well. enter and uh, I will actually show a NetBeans at the next AXTV because someone from Africa actually has the question of some deployment problems. So I will hack a project from scratch and show how it works with Apache NetBeans 12.1. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Hey, so, you know, let's 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 uh, let's also give credit to Apache for 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 taking on the project uh, when it was donated to them. They've done uh, they've done a fantastic job. They yeah. really have. Uh, you always get worried when another foundation picks up a technology, what's going to happen with it. Um, but yeah. my you know, my, my credit to the Apache team for for what they're doing to keep NetBeans current and vibrant in that mix of options in terms yeah. of ID and choices. Yeah, and now it's really great because now they have even a native installer for the Mac, so now it feels like you yeah. know. A, so now it's very convenient to install even. So it's uh yeah, it it works nice. Okay, so you spend your time at NetBeans. I didn't knew that. So I knew that you somehow yeah. uh, like NetBeans, but I had no idea that you have worked actually for the NetBeans team. So you spend your entire yeah. time at NetBeans. At Sun Microsystems? Uh, so, so NetBeans and then uh, built out the plugin program for NetBeans. Then we started working on a, yet another new tool called Java Studio Creator. I have this CD. Do... I have Java Studio Creator and Java Studio Workshop. So I have two origin yeah. CDs from Sun Microsystems. So, so do, do you remember the code name for Java Studio Creator? There's a code name for the project. No, but uh, 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 tell, tell it, say it. Sure. It was called Project Rave, R-A-V-E. Yeah. Project Rave was the code name, which was great because, you know, at that time when we were starting the project, many of us in the in the, uh, in the the team were actually huge Rave fans. Okay. Like we loved Rave This music. is what I remember. Rave, I remember. But uh, what I also know is if you go to the Java Studio Creator, that's like Java Studio. No, Java Studio Creator was later. What I'm talking about, this is what I remember, uh, Rave. There was a J Sun Java Studio and Sun Java Workshop, which were IDEs before NetBeans. This is what I talk That's about. Right. This is what I confused. And I have these CDs. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. yeah. And I and on on YouTube, I a few years ago on Christmas, I just recorded a show with the old uh, IDE. And the Java Studio was like a Java Beans uh, IDE, where you can now connect the pipelines. And if yes. you go, yeah, and we go to um, About Box, you saw a picture with all the developers. So a true picture still works. <laughs> and the two IDEs were so fast on my machine, it was incredible. So I had an old yeah. Windows machine and they were just screaming. Rave, I remember, because this was already announced in Java 1. So it was a, a lot later. Uh, uh, exactly. You said uh, year 2000. So 
What I'm talking about was probably 1998. This studio. Seven ninety. Yeah, ninety-seven. So, so Java Studio Workshop. Yeah. I so somewhere in my home office behind me. Yeah. Uh, I still I still have Workshop in the original box with the with the plastic. Yes, well. I, I haven't. Even, I haven't but my mine's from it. from paper, not plastic. It's paper. Yeah. So I have uh, the the paper one. So um yeah. Nice. Yeah, but so the thing at Sun, you know, we did a a lot of great innovation. We loved to make tools. We loved to innovate with tools. And, but you couldn't say you know, that. We had the tools to do everything versus, you know, integrating one tool. And so uh, it was good to, you know, launch Java Studio Creator, but the right thing would have been to actually initiate that innovation inherently in NetBeans versus creating yet another sort of called specialized IDE. And so yeah. eventually we we killed we ended the innovation on Creator, took that technology as Project Matisse, yeah. and then injected that into, into NetBeans, which is what we should have, like hindsight being 2020, that's what which we should have Which was the done. visual editor for NetBeans, which was great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, binding, drag and drop, yeah. you could go space and- And then two know. JSRs, right? Two, 296 and 95, the uh, Java, uh, there was one as data binding, I think, and the other one as application framework. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, you might appreciate that I already told this story on, on the on the podcast. So uh, I wanted to have the studio workshop, a studio creator in Germany. So um, in order to buy it, it was not expensive, like two hundred uh, one. I would say, let's say uh, two hundred dollars or one hundred dollar. So it was not a problem. But in order to get this, I had to apply as a Sun business solution partner, whatever. What I did, <laughs> I get called from Sun managers why I need it. So and everything was approved. And then I was able to buy this, but I got, you know, with the with the IDEs, a book with all the Sun hardware, which was probably more expensive than the two IDEs, <laughs> right? And the cool story was, I got credit, so I actually could buy Sun Fires without having any money. So I was student back then. So the, the right. entire process was complete crazy. So I understood. So Sun had great ideas, but they couldn't sell it. So it it was really hard to buy something from at least in Europe. I, I, I did uh, some, uh, Sun courses and I wanted badly, you know, to buy the hardware, the Sun machines, the uh, Ultra Spark 8 or something. This was the, like the tower station. And it's like, I will pay money. So I just would like to buy it. But there was no process to do it. So they are probably, right. it, this was like crazy, you know, and this is a little bit sad, I would say, because um, this was the beginning of the end, I would say. Um, yeah. So, you know, with, with, with um, great skills and great innovation, it requires a sound, you know, business model. It yeah. just does. Um, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm very refreshed uh, with where Oracle has made its investments with Java. It's, it's still mission critical to us. Uh, it's mission critical for many businesses out there, for developers out there. We do thoughtful innovation. We want to make sure that the last 25 years of Java has longevity for the next 25 years and and beyond. And so, um, it is uh, it's it's humbling to be uh, still associated with something after so long. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people might jump career to career, company to company. You know, every two years, maybe every four years. Um, I I think I'm a corner case. I'm an anomaly in that. Even though I've, you know, majority of my career has been with both Sun and, and, and Oracle, it that relationship has been specifically on Java, yeah. and uh, that is that is not um, that's not something I take lightly. I'm I'm humbled by that by that fact. I'm I'm humbled by the fact that the Java team still allows me to be part of their team and and um, try to help educate other developers and and make them better versions of themselves. It's it is um, 
sometimes I have to take a pause and just sit back and realize just how thankful I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people I've met, the you know, the technologies I've seen, the companies, you know, use cases that I've 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 been exposed to. Um, but more importantly, the community, like I, I'm just, this career has taken me to so many places and allowed me to meet so many people yeah. that are more creative, more talented than I will ever be in multiple lifetimes. And that to me is the rich fabric of Java. It's not just, it's a great language and a great platform. You know, what really gives life to Java is the people that are using it and yeah. in so many innovative ways. It's yeah. it's mind boggling. Like yeah. I, I can't fathom that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, Project Rave, and you yeah. are a raver, I guess. So, you know, uh, I still am. Yeah, and uh, Project Rave. So, what happened after Project Rave? So, you still, what, yeah. you were the IDE guy, or what? Yeah. So, like, so, um, I, so, I once we once we transitioned the technologies uh, that were in Creator into NetBeans via Matisse, um, I I did a bit of a pivot uh, in terms of instead of working on Java, I started building the community. So I started um, investing my time in building out the Java user group program. Obviously, I wasn't the only one who did this. There was a team of us that wanted to build up the ecosystem of of people that were loyal and passionate and had an affinity around Java. We created the Java Champions program, which were power users of Java who could go and educate the larger collective around um, why Java has value. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to take on the responsibility for Java One as a content chairperson, following in the footsteps of people that were my heroes. So, like Graham Hamilton and Bill Joy and James Scott, like these people, these are the stalwarts of what Java is about, especially Java One. And in 2009, when I was given that responsibility, it's it's sort of it 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 leaves you speechless because I'm never going to be of the quality of any of them even in you know 5% or 10% they 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 are my they are my heroes right that's there's no no way i will ever be able to emulate what they did and what they mean to java but to be given that responsibility to drive java 1 for so many years was a uh, career defining for me okay uh and then when i was also given the opportunity and responsibility to lead the java evangelism program um it just taught me just how important people are. So the Java evangelists to me are the ones who are the uh, forgotten heroes um, that has made Java so vibrant. Uh, the evangelists are the ones who would you know, put their personal life on pause to go travel the world, to educate others, to be better Java programmers than what they were. You know, Spending more than half of your year from country to country, from city to city, you know, giving talks, giving, going to meetups, talking at conferences, writing blogs, writing best practices, writing blueprints, that, that takes a special group of individuals um, to, to do something like that. And so there have been, you know, dozens of evangelists in the past. So, you know, whether it's Angela Caicedo or Jim Weaver or Garrett Grunewald or um, Simon Ritter uh, or Danny Coward, um, there's just or Terence Barr, Alexei Balokralov in in Russia. There's so many evangelists that history don't doesn't necessarily remember their name, but what they've done for Java is going is such a priceless investment. Do you remember the evangelist from NetBeans? I think his uh, this was from Czech. It was Roman Roman Strobel. Roman Strobel. Yeah, he he uh, he traveled 
all over the place. He was Everywhere. crazy. Yeah, so he was like he was the, the he was one of the first evangelists who traveled yes. everywhere and uh, so this was actually a nice nice guy it was completely pro netbeans you know yes roman strobel uh i met when i was on the netbeans team um uh i never understood how he was able to do what he did because he did the work of like five people he was always awake yeah. regardless of where you were in the world if you called him or sent him an email or you know in the old days you would send an sms no one sends out SMS. Does anyone send SMSs anymore? Anyway, you would reach out to him within seconds. He would respond to you. And it could be like, you know, 10, 10 yeah. hour time difference. He was always, I always thought there was like three versions of him somewhere. He kept one version in the US, one version in the US, yeah. in Europe and another version in Asia. But I, uh, the, 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 the sheer fact that he was so passionate about what he did um, really was, uh, was inspiring. Really what, was inspiring. What's also inspiring, uh, I don't know, Hertian Vilenga, you're also not Hertian. And he's, yes, still, is, uh, he's yeah. still loyal to NetBeans. Also, he yes, has he nothing. To, and this is also, you know, uh, like uh, he also pinged me, hey, we have to do something about that and whatever. He was very pro NetBeans the entire time. So, which is also remarkable. Yeah. Uh -huh. yep. So, what was your actual job on um, Java One? So, what you did with it? Were you responsible for the program or what, what yeah. was? Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, as an event, you know, there's always some sort of operational team that puts yeah. it on. But uh, the responsibility of the chairperson uh, is to literally design the program. You know, what what is the meta-level theme? What is the content? What are the technical tracks? Uh, how to do content recruitment? Who's going to do the evaluation? Then getting into the actual evaluation itself, what gets selected, what doesn't get selected, who do we invite, who do we not invite, have we load balanced topics in terms of introductory, uh, intermediary, or highly technical, because people that come to the event have different skill sets. So yeah. we want to ensure the program offered something to everyone. So yeah. if you're new to Java, was there enough information for me to continue my journey? If I was an expert, is there something where I can go and do a deep dive? Yeah. I did through a lab. So we wanted to load balance the event such that it would be able to talk about Java in those three lenses of beginner, intermediate, and expert. It, it cut across the entire breadth of what Java represented in terms of server side, mobile, client, desktop, obviously as, as technology moved on in cloud, uh, in headless devices, in cards, in, you know, we just wanted to make sure the event was representative of what Java is. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, is the people, right? Yeah. We wanted to ensure we had a diverse set of speakers. That was sort of one of our um, indirect measurements is how diverse a talent do we, is the world represented at Java One? And I always used to remember John Gage when he yeah. was the spokesperson. He would come up on stage the very first day of the event. Wait a second. And he I, would I can, talk and, about... No, I can tell you. Because yeah. I wanted to mention him. My first Java one was in the year 2000. Okay. And, uh, and John Gage came to stage, Scott McNeely. This was usually the keynote, you know, they had a chat, which I was already impressed because it was fun. And what John Gage always did, you know, who attended the first Java one, stand up. And then the second, right. the, yeah, this is it. This was his thing. And he also had always a story, you know. And uh, he told, for instance, I, I remember right now is he he, he uh, told the story that they building uh, like a broadband or something, and this will have big impact on on Java. And he also knew it, um, New York Times, you know, newspapers. And I, I I read something, and and I just wanted to tell you this. And um, 
And I was deeply impressed by the guy. I had no idea what what role of John Gage actually is because for me it was more like a manager guy. But uh, the entire setup was uh, very impressive to me. So my very first Java one, just the keynote alone, right? And um, and this one I wanted to tell you. So this was something very special. And what you what you even had at the Java one, a Java one newspaper. You remember that? There was an, right. an actual newspaper. So you, you got uh, like a which was crazy for me. So this is incredible. And my first Java one in the year 2000 was like 35,000 attendees where they had the problems with the police, you know, uh, for, it was the fire uh, fire department uh, because uh, uh, it was not allowed to have so many attendees. They also mentioned this and, and the thing, and we had even yes. sessions in the, in the Mensa. There was like, you know, where uh, there was, uh, there, I remember Martin Fowler gave a talk about persistence, you know, during lunch because there was no more room. Yes, and he was in the upper mezzanine giving yeah. the talk, so more people could attend that didn't violate the you know the fire code. Yeah, and exactly. How many people could be in? Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and you know one of the things John Gage would also do is talk about how many attendees were there from so many countries. We have you yeah. know eighty countries represented here. We you know from this background, from this company. And it just showed you the vibrancy of the ecosystem. What I love, Adam, is it was also he said is yeah. we have no much time. There's just one week. Just talk That's to right. your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. We just see something. Just start the conversation right now. There is no time afterwards. This was this was the right thing to do because you know it was the first day, and I actually did it. So I just you know if I if, if I if I met someone, so what are you doing here? Just you no know, conversation. You can and yeah. Yeah, he would he would say, look to your left, look yeah, to exactly. your right. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, and yeah. talk talk to the people next to you because these are going to be the people you will talk to for the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, and, and look ahead and look behind you. But yeah, yes, exactly. He wanted you to connect with people because yeah. it's one thing to sit in on only on sessions, but uh, it's it's that conversation, that hallway track. Yeah. That uh, would give you the most value. And what I love is, you know, those those heroes of the past, the work that they have established are. Um, you know, being carried forward by new leaders. So, you know, George Saab that, you know, he runs the Java team now. He's yeah. actually one of the original members of the Java team back at Sun and he's come back around and now leads uh, the Java team. Um, you know, when he goes on stage and talks about Java, he always leans in on, you know, the history of Java, yeah. why our virtues, our design virtues matter. When when we have folks like Mark Reinhold and Brian Getz, they always talk about the history of Java, making sure we're thoughtful in our evolution. So ensuring backwards compatibility is 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 in, you know is integral as we innovate for the future. Or more importantly, you know, we have a new leader now uh, in 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 developer outreach, Chad Aramura. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about that next way to think about how to advance Java to the to the next generation developers. So you know. All a, of these a, a great podcaster chat is a great podcast yeah. going on java podcast is really great so it's just interesting yeah. and nice so he he yeah. does a so great job my, my my kudos to chad and david de la base david, exactly uh who's uh you know also been part of the java family for many years but chad and david are uh have launched the inside.java podcast uh which is which is brilliant because it literally gives a, a voice to the actual developers in in development engineering yeah. to talk about the work their works and so you know how great is that to have you know a and, new generation of leaders? And for me, the uh, the new Java podcast is very similar to as like Java One was back then. So actually, right. the Java One I attended only the Java One because I wanted to attend as many talks by Sun engineers as possible because they were <laughs> only at Java One. So right. um, Java One was the only conference. And by the way, great job to uh, as you as a program chair. So which I attended the entire week. So I spent from the morning session until 
the Birds of Feather, it stopped sometimes at 9.10. So it was my last session. So it was the entire week and the hallway conversations happens between. So I never miss a session at Java 1. So this one, it was crazy motivation for me. And uh, so a great job because this was a mix between, you know, because, you know, I can listen to the other consultants on other conferences, but Java One was where you know where innovation happens, or at least where I can listen to engineers like you know the how it's called a WWDC for from Apple. So for me, it was right. the Java One from Sun or Oracle? So it doesn't matter. It's still Java involved, and uh, so this is why I really like Java. And I I, I knew that some people you know went to Java One just to have the hallway conversations. I say you you are stupid. You should you know go to the sessions and and really you know learn as much as possible. And then you can have uh, hallway conversations after 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 the show or, the, or prior to show, but it's, don't waste your time. And right, right. And so you you came out of a session, and you'd be able to actually rub elbows with like the Stuart Marxes of the world, or the Joe yeah. Darcy, or yeah, the Alex exactly. Buckley's, you know, uh, or or the Amy Fallows. Like all of these engineers were weren't just there to give a session; they were there to engage and talk uh, and interact with you because they learn as much from you as the attendee learned from them. Yeah, what I learned later is uh, the Sun engineers or Oracle engineers, they spend the entire day with Java, right? So, And we spend the entire day using Java. So what we can tell them, how we actually use Java, right? So yeah, I, right. I, I I recognize that later, that actually we can also give something back because at the beginning, so they are so smart, so there's no way that <laughs> we can do something exciting for them. Okay, um, one question. You don't have to answer, then we can pick another topic. Um, what was the reaction to renaming Java 1 to Code 1? Do you think this is a good idea? Um, so I'll be very pragmatic. Um, like everything in the universe, everything evolves. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't, um, um, stay static. Yeah. Uh, the universe will continue to evolve whether you want it to or not. And so Java one to me will always be appreciated. Um, no one is ever going to forget the value of what it meant and represented. Um, code one. Um, that naming convention change, although it can be uh, um, controversial, Code One continues to showcase the, the 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 brilliance and the value of what was in Java One, but even more, right? So yeah. Java is a first-class citizen; it's the first amongst peers. Yeah. Um, but there's also other areas that also need to rise up that are of equal value to developers, uh, whether you're using Java or something else. So, you know, topics like DevOps and cloud integration and containerization, these are all meaningful. Like they may not be rooted in Java, but they influence that sphere. And so I will always, I will always have a love and appreciation for Java One. What it did for me as an attendee. Yeah. Uh, what it's done for me in terms of my career. Um, and, you know, uh, code one continues to shine the best of what Java one was. And, um, you know, the, the universe continues to evolve. Let's see where code one goes. No, this is what I get. So, um, the, the reasons yeah. are clear, but, uh, Java one was a really strong brand. So from the marketing perspective, this is what I never understood why someone is doing that. And what, what I thought is what, why not, you know, just introducing code one, a Java one would be just a small piece of the entire code one. So you can have DevOps one and PHP one and uh, whatever one, uh, Oracle <laughs> DB one, right? So you have an umbrella code one, but there is still, you know, a view. Uh, so this would be a fun, but just, you know, because yeah. right now, if you tell code one, it is, no one knows what it actually is. And Java one well, was a it, strong, strong what, brand. What, what, what's, what's interesting is um, obviously we live in a new world right now that's been impacted by 
the world um, somewhat shutting down in terms of our access to be face-to-face. Um, so here at Oracle, we've introduced a new online conference called Oracle Developer Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, umbrella event series has very specific additions on a specific topic. So our first event was purely on database, which okay. was held back in August. Yeah. So we did a Dev Live database. We then did an inaugural event just on Java, Dev Live Java, which was in September. Uh, in in October, we did a Dev Live on MySQL, and then more recently, we did a Dev Live for for cloud in November. Okay, and, this is a good idea. Yeah, and so we're going to have the second instance of that Java edition, uh, at least tentatively. We're looking in the March timeframe of 2021 to do Oracle Dev, Dev Live Java again yeah. in in uh, in 2021 because. Listen, when the world is closed, we still need to be able to communicate, yeah. we need to be able to educate and share. And so um, this gives us a facility to do it in an online world. And yes, sometimes it can be a bit suffocating. We have so many online conferences. But again, if we don't connect even virtually, uh, we yeah. miss an opportunity. It's yeah. a missed opportunity. What I meant is, if I would have trademarked to Woodstock, <laughs> I, would, I, I would keep, you know, naming my concert Woodstock just, you know, because I have it. So this was what I wanted, you know. Here's here's what I would say in that regard. You know, um, for those that are passionate about naming convention, be more vocal about it, um, because the more vocalization, then that's obviously how change happens. Yeah. Um, another thing, I think it was the year 2010. So obviously it was second Java One as a chair. This was the year what I remember when Steve Jobs died. Remember that? And uh, and you delivered uh, the keynote, and you were really sad. And for me, Steve yeah. Jobs, I I mean, it was not as sad as for you. So now the question is, why you were so, I mean, why it touched you that much? Because I remember you were on the on the stage and said, okay, Steve Jobs died and uh, uh, there was one minute, you know, keep keep uh, quiet and say, so, okay, um, Steve Jobs, okay, he did remarkable things, but I never would thought that you are that sad about, you know, the death of uh, Steve Jobs. So why? Yeah, you know, it's, it's still even emotional now. Um, the day we found out, uh that the night we found out was was challenging because uh it the next day was the java community keynote and exactly. the question was do we even hold the community keynote um on such a somber situation it, even though it had nothing to do with java 1 or java yeah. it, in the ecosystem the technology industry he was um uh extremely meaningful to the world we live in um and but we continued to go forward and do the community keynote we decided um about an hour before the keynote started let's at least have a moment of silence to honor him yeah uh, and which by the way steve jobs was um well i never met him personally i've been in uh i'm not going to name drop never met him uh one on one, but been been to some of his keynotes, been to events. He's you know you you, you see someone of that stature but, there. But Steve Jobs Not attended Java One in the year two thousand, right? He was on stage yes. with Scott McNeely, so this That's was right. Yeah. yeah, right. So like you're in the audience and you see, yeah, like, oh yeah. my god, like this 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 uh this person, this uh very important person is in front in front of me. But we decided to hold a moment of silence. Um, I I was uh keynoting that event. Um, and it, it was a struggle, uh, especially if, like many of us, and it's kind of sad this happens, but if you've ever been impacted by someone in your personal life that has passed away from cancer, um, okay. it, 
you know, it, it just brings it to the forefront of your mind. Okay. It, it, it just, it really just, uh, it was a, it was a moving moment. Okay. And um, I'm really happy the event organizers allowed us the opportunity to remember him, uh, hold a moment of silence for him. Um, but we moved on, you know, we, uh, that, that day, you might remember the Java Posse came on stage yeah. afterwards yeah. and uh, th they had a segment. Uh, we had a great leader like Donald Smith, who was from the Eclipse Foundation, who came back to uh, to Oracle. He led a lot of the the panel discussions as far as you know where the innovation around Java is happening, and so we, we carried forward because I mean yeah. I think I think uh, it was the right thing to do. Yeah, it it was because you know for me it was not that big deal. I mean I was sad of course, but not like you know I said okay why why it happens because it was people, I am from Germany, from all over the world. I don't think that everyone was that sad as you were, right? Because you were more impacted by that. So, and are you a, a huge Steve Jobs fan or what you personally? Uh, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know him. I know, no, but, but I know his work, but I know yeah. his work, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, he, he took a company that was unsure where it was going to go Sure. Uh, back in the back in the '90s, and what he was able to do, and obviously he didn't do it by himself. But you know, every company needs a leader. They every, every company needs a a north star to to direct yeah. them. Yeah. And Steve Jobs was that north star that gave Apple a direction, a single-minded yeah. focus to do something really well. Yeah. Well executed. That was approachable. That had value. Um, and he was able to build Mindshare uh, within the team to to focus on that destination. And so, you know, I have a lot of I have a great deal of respect for for him and uh, leaders like like him. When when you stop uh, the your Java One involvement, so with Code One or later? So when was your last? You know, your last. My last my Java last One. event uh, yeah. is there is no last event. So I'm still continuing. To help uh, design and um, execute Java uh, programs here at Oracle, um, most recently with Oracle Developer Live. So I, I have the responsibility to basically put the Java edition in motion. Um, I continue to work to help build out the ecosystem with growing Java user groups and the conversation within those user groups, uh, interaction with the Java champions such as yourself. To foster um, greater collaboration, um, but you know my my job straddles both the business, the yeah. commercial, and the community side. So my you know half of my brain is dedicated to making sure our customers that use Java continue to use Java. The other side of my brain is to ensure the community that's passionate about Java continues to remain passionate about Java. So you know I I put a hundred percent of effort in both. Yeah, but uh, what's your business role? Exactly. So what uh, are you, I don't know how to call it. I, I guess every company calls it, every company may have a term for it, but uh, I'm a product manager for Java. Oh, it's just a, you know, you're a big deal. Uh, product manager. So I have to be nicer to you, you know, right now. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't, uh, I don't get hung up with titles um, because a title never really can articulate the value of what someone does. Um, and so but but it, it gives an idea what you're actually doing. Yeah. So if you say yeah, product manager gives, with Java, I can imagine what. Yeah. So now the feedback to you. 
because I was already a, a little bit, you know, down on Java one and Code one. But I have to say, um, Sun and Oracle. Obviously, I can tell that I'm independent. I of course loved, uh, liked Sun a little bit more. And the question is, uh, the, the the reason is Sun was crazier. You know, the, 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 at Sun, we were uh, we were at uh, Java one and talking with evangelists. There was always something new, and you never knew what happened, right? And Oracle is more predictable, so it's like serious business. So for me, Oracle is more like military, and Sun was more like a hippie shop, you know. So like, a, a, <laughs> so this is like you know, uh, in in Oracle you can say okay, everything is like uh, business and decision driven, and Sun was more like you know more feeling, be you know community and stuff like that. But yeah. having said yeah, but having said that, um, I think Oracle did a great job for Java uh, recently, you know, with all the native efforts and startup times, and uh, even you know uh, the different. Gravium and and all it 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 raises awareness of 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 Java and it gets getting more and more popular. This is the thing. So it is actually a a great job, I have to say. And uh, I'm working with huge companies, and they still like Java. So it is yeah. it is. And what happens even now in this year, we are moving some strange technologies back to Java because uh, no one likes experiments a anymore. So they would like to have something reliable. And instead of you now experimenting with something which may work, it's probably more fun, but no one knows whether it actually works. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I it's so the so the question is, do you want to be cool or do you want to be constructive? And it's easy to be cool. Yeah, it's easy to come up with you know bleeding edge um, innovation, but will, does that have long term value? Like for me, even as a whether you're an enterprise or a developer what you're investing your time in you want to uh have confidence that what i'm doing now will have value five years from now from yeah. 10 years from now and so we want to do that thoughtfully right yeah. so um you're right uh sun was a bit more um loose yeah. uh, and uh oracle is a bit more structured but i think structure is important because as anything as we as we grow up we want to be responsible. And I think Oracle is taking a very responsible approach to Java, but not forgetting that innovation continues forward. And the amount of innovation that has been injected in Java just in the last two years yeah. uh, is sometimes can be viewed as greater than, you know, what the last 10 years of Java has been. You know, it is. we look at how Java is is being designed to address modern hardware architectures or how Java has applicability in machine learning or in big data or as you had mentioned in startup time, um, yeah. or more importantly, how are we making the language more usable by those that write the code? Like, how are we simplifying the syntax? Yeah. How to make it more, not just readable, but more writable? Because yeah. at the end of the day, someone is going to have to maintain that code. Yeah. And don't you want to have that code to be written in as efficient way as possible and as readable a way as possible? So, you know, those are what I would call constructive approaches to innovation versus just cool approaches to innovation. Yeah. And not only cool so approaches. It's so. part of growing up. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what impressed me deeply, because, you know, prior to Java 1, I only read, you know, the articles. And then I saw James Gosling with the Dev uh, Harley Davidson on his T-shirt, you know, shooting T-shirts. <laughs> and then, you know, John Gage with, uh, I don't know, it was just crazy. And there was the, how was it called? After... After Darkness or something, you know, the party, Java The one, After Dark party. The, the After Dark. So which was not a party, it was actually an event. So they were fighting robots and whatever. So complete crazy stuff. So And <laughs> and this impresses, of course, young developers, right? Yeah. So if you're watching a structured company, 
it is at the beginning not as exciting. This is what I wanted to tell. And this is hard, you know, but it is in the longer term, of course, more responsible because as I told you, in order to, to buy from Sun, you know, an IDE, I had to become a business partner as a student <laughs> and was able to order a Sunfire or whatever machine, which I never understood. And I thought, you know, and now I'm an important person because uh, I can buy whatever hardware I like. And, and, and the truth was Sun was not able, you know, to sell to sell uh, CDs uh, via internet. So this is like... It, w w what I would say is this. Uh, here's what I would say, Adam, which is as we're being thoughtful and constructive with our innovation, if there's ways that we can also inject a bit of coolness yeah. in that, yeah. we would love to, I would love to hear about some of those ideas, whether it's from you through the mechanism of your podcast or anyone that's listening uh, in the ecosystem to your podcast, if there are ideas on how we can become not just constructive, but cool, um, I would love to hear about your ideas on, on all of that. And not just you, but all the listeners. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, you know, yeah, cool is a relative term. We're open to ideas. And so the more we hear about it, the more it gives us a chance to evaluate. So uh, share and share often and share uh, transparently. I, I have an open ear to it. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So um, where people can find you? Because I have to start my next show, AXTV. The people are all... sure. <laughs> easiest. The easiest way to find me is on Twitter. Uh, it you know, there's multiple ways you, everyone wants to be reached and contacted. But for me, I find the easiest way is just to find me on Twitter. Uh, you know, follow me. I'll follow you back. We can have conversations over DM or even in the public forum if it's uh, if it's if it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, at Sharath underscore Chander, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and I look forward to meeting as many of uh, your listeners as possible, Adam. Yeah, perfect. And the podcast is Java Inside, right? Inside.java. Inside.java, exactly. Dot Java, not bad. Dot Java, oh. Inside.java. So uh, it, it should be easy to remember. Just yeah. type it in your browser, inside.java, and um, all of the work that Chad and David and others have put into that program will be accessible at your fingertips. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Lots of fun. Adam, Adam, happy holidays. Thank you for the time and uh, appreciate the invitation.